Hey, this is Havala's podcast, and I'm your host, Havala. This month, we are starting off with a brand new series entitled Stronger Than the Struggle. Really, it's uncomplicating spiritual battles, your spiritual battle. And so if you've never explored this topic or you're not sure, maybe you love this topic and you're like, let's do this. I think it's important that we talk about the spirit world. We talk about what's happening in the invisible world and what is, well, places that we can be defeated or empowered. So I really want to get clear on this so we can go forward, right? October's a really funny kind of season, specifically in America, because we have the holiday of Halloween. Now, I know um, there's a whole world out there with Halloween. And if you go deep into it, you can find that there is the occult, there are satanic worship, or there is, excuse me, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. And then it can go all the way, like the pendulum can swing all the way to just a kid's party with some costumes and some pumpkins. And I want you to know that all of that is is really secondary to us being aware of the spiritual battle. So sometimes we think that, you know, something has authority or power over us, or we think it's no big deal and that we're casual about it. But what I want us to do is take the word of God seriously. And the word of God says to us to be sober, to stay sober and alert because the enemy of our soul roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now that might sound, wow, Havala, (laughs) where are we going today? Well, I'm going to teach you, uh, I'm going to uncomplicate your spiritual battle. And I know, I know when we start talking about spiritual battles and getting into the spirit world, we start going, "Uh uh-oh, where are you going? Are you going to take me into some weird prophetic world or mystical world? Or are you going to go deep enough for me because I know exactly what's going on and I want to make sure that you you do too? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I hope that we're like right in the middle and that you leave here empowered. You leave here while being reminded of who you are in Christ. And honestly, maybe you're working way too hard or maybe you're not working hard enough. So we're going to get into that. So this whole month is about uncomplicating your spiritual battle. And I want to start with the scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. This has been a favorite scripture of mine for 30 years. I love the scripture. And it simply says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. I love another translation says this. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Wow. That's God. That's our God. That's your God. That's his words toward you. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. I'm going to take care of you. I will not abandon you. And I have plans for your future that are filled with hope. In fact, that word plans in the Hebrew isn't just you know, for I have plans, like I got a spreadsheet, I got all these, you know, unique kind of checkpoints that I want you to hit. It actually goes deeper into the Hebrew and it actually goes into the meaning of thoughts and purpose. So for I know the thoughts that I have for you, I know the purpose that I have for you. 
But you actually find this really cool word in the middle of all that. It's the word intentions. This is how it would be read if you were reading it with that word. For I know the intentions that I have for you, says the Lord. You see, the enemy loves to prey on our hearts and he loves us to, well, to plant, he loves to plant a seed of, of mistrust in God that we know, yeah, you know, God is God and he loves us and, you know, he has a plan. But deep down, deep down below the surface, if we were really to identify what we believe, there's a part of us that may not believe that God's motive is fully good to us. I'll never forget this day. I was a young mom. I had two, two babies under the age of two. And one of my favorite things to do was bike ride, but I had one of those bike trailers on the back where you could throw the two boys in the back. And this would give me a solid 45 minutes to myself because the boys, once you got them strapped in their harnesses and going down the street, they inevitably would fall asleep. And there I was in the silence outside talking to God. And I was talking to God one day about something I was going through. And I was, you know, telling him, I was pouring my heart out to him, but I, I, I'll never forget. I said this to him, God, I trust you. Like I want, at least I want to trust you. I want to trust you with my whole heart. I want to trust you that you've got my life in your hands. And he said this so clearly to me, Havala, true trust is believing that my intentions toward you is always good. Wow. That was, that was like a spiritual gut punch that I would believe that his intentions toward me, the only motive, the only intention, the only thought, the only purpose, the only plans that he had set up for me was filled with his goodness, not his rightness, his goodness. And that was huge for me. And I wish it was a straight line. And I just, yep, absolutely. That's his intention. But you know what? I remember that when I'm at my lowest and I have to say, God, I want to trust you enough to believe that your intentions toward me are good right now, even if it feels like I don't know why this is happening. You see, the enemy loves to, well, he loves to use the parts of our story where pain or abandonment or rejection becomes our narrative. It becomes the thing that we think about, we obsess about, or we try to get away from. And he wants us to kind of eat that every day, feed on that. He wants to remind us of memories that we felt uh, pain or we felt left out or we felt that he didn't, he didn't keep his word to us or he let us down. And he, the enemy wants us to make, to draw this conclusion that, you know, God is good, but he's not that good. And God is good, but he led me to that painful part. And that's kind of who he is too. And the enemy knows that if he can get us to question God's intentions toward us, then the whole thing can unravel. The whole thing can unravel. I mean, we find this right in the beginning of the, of the book, of the Bible. You know, in Genesis, the enemy comes to Adam and Eve in the shape of a serpent. And he talks to them. And the first thing he says is he quotes what Jesus, or excuse me, what God the Father had said to them. He uses his words. And then when he says it to them, did God say, 
He didn't say, God said, don't eat of, you can eat of everything in the whole garden except for this tree of, of good and evil. No, he, he turns God's periods, which is God's statement, the truth, what is real. And God, you know, God said to Adam and Eve, listen, you can eat of everything in the garden except for this tree. And he didn't do that to torture them. He, he did it so that he could prove free will. He could prove that even in the garden, there was no robotic love. There was no forced love. There was no, um, you know, malicious or controlled love that even in the midst of perfection and euphoria, that true love, even if everything is set up and is perfect and all choices are made for us, there has to be a part in love that we choose. We have the power to choose and say yes. And God knows that, that without that, there is no real authentic love. And so when the enemy came to them, he quoted exactly what God had said to them. God said, don't eat. You can eat of all the, all the fruit, but just not this fruit. But if instead of it being a statement, he turned it into a question. He turned it into a question. What he does is he takes what God says and he, he turns it into a question so that we begin to ask it more in a question form ourselves. So God says, I love you. And the enemy goes, so God loves you? And then all of a sudden, we begin to go, does God love me? And it turns from God loves me to a does God love me? Does God have a good plan? Is God going to work it out? And that little bit is not so much the influx of how I'm saying it, it's the motive behind it. It's the filter behind it. It's, it's the intention of what's being asked or said or told to you. And so God never tells us to do something without the best intention for us. This is important. God, I want to say it this way. God is not a grandparent. God is a parent. He doesn't want us to just eat sugar all day, do whatever we want to do, sleep, you know, go to bed as late as possible. That's fun. Grandparents are there to show that there is love and there's connection and there's fun, all of that, right? But that's not going to raise a really healthy human because life doesn't work that way. You can't eat sugar all day long and not have a physical experience, or you can't be deliriously exhausted and live a healthy, full life. So he treats us like a parent. He says, listen, you're going to want to grow that. You're not going to want to grow that. You're going to want more of that in your life. You're going to want to stay away from that. And he does that because he sees our future. He knows what that thing is going to grow to. So we go, is it really a big deal? And he says, yeah, actually you drinking is going to end up leading to addiction and alcoholism. Or he says, hey, yeah, you know, you giving yourself to somebody who has not made a commitment to you physically can actually lead you to having soul ties with no one that is really committed to you. And only covenant can protect that kind of physical and emotional um intimacy. And so what we end up doing is we think it's not a big deal, whether it's, you know, whether it's offense, whether it's shame, whether it's blame, whether it's apathy, whatever it is in our lives, uh, the enemy wants to take it. And it's usually around the intention. 
his intention, people in our lives' attention, intention, excuse me, and those things end up playing in our minds and they end up creating stories and they end up creating walls around us. It hurts us. You see, it's outside of God's character to do or be anything but good. It is outside of his character to do or to be anything but good. And so how do we put the doubts that we have in our lives into the statements that he said about us? You know, how do we take that and we go, wait, I think I've turned some of what God said into questions and it, it fluctuates depending on my day or fluctuates depending on my, what was, what's happening in my daily life or in my marriage or with my kids. And I'm actually not saying this is a truth. This is a period at the end of that statement. Now, why are we talking about this when it comes to spiritual warfare? Because any part of us that doesn't have a foundation of God's character will end up fighting things that God didn't ask us to fight. There'll be a part of us that will wonder if God's just abusing us to use us. And we actually won't have a lot of authority or conviction around what we need to do because we're not really sure. And the truth is, if it's not really true inside of us, then it doesn't matter how much we preach about it, how much we talk about it, how much we listen to it or buy the book. If we don't actually have it in the core of who we are, it will not be priority. It will not be who we are. It'll be head knowledge, but it won't be heart knowledge. So I think it's really important that you take this verse, Jeremiah 29 and 11, and you speak this verse over yourself. Just speak it over yourself. Havilah, for I know the intentions I have for you, says God. When you speak it over yourself, I want you to ask yourself, how does that make me feel? For me right now, when I hear myself say that, I immediately think, wow, I have a God who really knows me. I'm not alone. I don't have to do life alone. And it also makes me think about my future. And so much of pain and suffering and grief and all those things pull us into the, to the daily, the daily moments. But if we don't have a future, then we don't live with hope. We don't live with excitement. We don't live with the picture of what God has for us. We survive. And so for some of us, actually, one of the ways you're going to do warfare is you're going to face your future. You're going to, you're going to think in the future. You're going to think about the person that God is going to make you or is creating you to be. And that's really a divine strategy from God to get you moving and to get you dangerous for the kingdom of heaven. So what I need you to do is really ask yourself, what do I need to let go of? What negative belief system or what negative thought that I have about God, um, what do I need to let go of in order to fully believe in the goodness of God? You know, it's funny for me personally, it often wasn't that God disappointed me as much as I watched God disappoint someone else and I got angry for them. I got, I got angry that he would allow that to happen in their life or that that would, that would happen and he wouldn't, you know, reverse it or resurrect or restore. 
And it made me angry. And I realized that part of the way the enemy works in our lives is we have a tendency to fight other people's battles. And here's the thing. It's not our battle. It's their battle. And if we allow the residue of someone else's battle to get into our battle, we will be powerless because we don't have access to the grace that that person has, meaning they're in the middle of it. And we don't know what it's like to be in the middle of it, but we know that if they want to hear from God at that moment, they have access to him. And so for us, some of us being good stewards of the battle that we're in, and I'll just say it bluntly, okay, you have enough battles. You don't need to fight other people's battles. And if you don't have battles, I would like to welcome you to come hang out with me for a couple of days <laughs> because I don't know anybody who doesn't have a battle. And what I mean by that is it may be that you're an intercessor and God has given you a heart for the nations or for a city or for a generation. And that's your battle. And so you don't have to battle in the political world, or you don't have to battle in the health world or the educational world, because that's not your battle. And so God is going to call us to things that we go to battle for with him, but we have to be very aware. We have to be very aware of what thing he's inviting us into. I want us to look at this for a minute. In Isaiah 54, 17, God says, well, he says something over us. It's a, it's a, deg- it's a degree, a decree, I should say that better, a decree um, that he speaks to us. And he says very simply uh, that God has given us an anointing to receive peace and righteousness and security and to triumph over opposition. I mean, that's a, that's a amazing, I, I mean, you can read it. Go to Isaiah 54, 17. And, you know, the decree is really clear. It speaks about us being anointed. It speaks about us being his and that we have the anointing to receive what we don't have on our own. It says, I have given all authority from heaven that makes the devil flee. I want you to declare that. I mean, that's not what Isaiah 54, 17 says, but I want you to say that because that's a declaration I want you to think about and understand. I have been given an authority from heaven to make the devil flee. Wow. As a believer, as a Christ follower, lean in. Lean in right now. You need to hear this. You are anointed to deal with the devil. Deal with the devil. Listen, the devil has been defeated. I'm going to give you a one-minute theology lesson, okay? For those of you that haven't followed me and maybe haven't heard me preach on this before, what we know and what scripture tells us is that there was God, obviously in the beginning, John chapter one was the word, right? God was the word. The word was with us. Uh, The word um, dwelt among us and God was here and he had his angels. They were created beings. They were in heaven. I don't know so much of heaven as a place as much as heaven is an atmosphere. And so they lived with him and there was an angel that he had created and his name was Lucifer. And Lucifer, the Bible says, was a worship leader. He played, he, he led worship in heaven. His body had instruments in his angelic being, and he would lead the hosts of heavens to giving God glory and worshiping God. Now, at one point, the Bible says that Lucifer uh, wanted some of that glory. 
He looked and thought, I would like some of that. And God said, no. And God didn't say no because God's a narcissist or he doesn't want to share his glory. God is the only one that, w- that can contain glory, that can have glory given and contained. And it, it's at the right place. It belongs to him. And if we as human beings try to receive glory, it ends up being, well, dangerous, almost like radiation. It, you know, how many of you know a, a famous movie star, an athlete, or a preacher, somebody in our lives that has really had the praise of man, right? And I don't fault them for that. Sometimes our success, whether we are really athletic, we're a great communicator, we're a good educator, whether, you know, we have some kind of skill that everybody wants to acknowledge, that's not the problem. The problem is not getting praised for the work we do or efforts or the gifts that we have. It's when we take it in and we think it's about us only, and we start to think that we are godlike rather than receiving the glory and then giving it back to God, who's the only one that really deserves that glory and that can contain glory. If you try to contain it, how many of you know, we get weird. We get weird. People that try to contain the glory, they get weird. They start seeing themselves as God. They start wanting people to treat them godlike, and it's dangerous. It's not good. It's not healthy. And it's not how we were created. So why is this a big deal? Well, when God said no to Lucifer, there was a war that broke out in heaven. He was called the devil. Uh, Lucifer was the devil and is the devil. And then he had angels, a third of the angels that went with him to the earth. He was cast to the earth, out of heaven, to the earth. And the angels, the fallen angels are now called demons. So what we know biblically is that God is God. There's a host of angels, two thirds of heaven is, you know, that, that were created beings at that point are angels. And there was a third of, of the angels, fallen angels that came to earth. They are demons. The devil lives on the earth. He believes the earth is his and everybody on the earth is his and he, the demons worship him and serve him. Now here's a really important part. And you guys know this, if you're leaders or you've been around, it is a suicide mission. The enemy, the devil, is already damned. He has already been defeated and he will enter into hell forever. He will be tortured forever. He will he will be away from the glory of God forever. He has nothing to lose except to take people with him. That's it. And so why do we talk about spiritual battles because you have to understand that the enemy has a very short period of time to get you to believe him, to worship him or worship yourself, to to take the glory from God and to reject God so that you would become your own God or you would worship him as your God and then you too will end up in hell. Now, I know we don't like to talk about hell. I don't like to talk about hell. You know, I, I don't like to talk about a lot of that, but if we don't talk about it, then it actually diminishes what heaven is. It diminishes the glory that we get. I mean, if we, if we don't have hell, then we don't have salvation. We're not saved from anything. That's just a feel good gospel, right? Okay. I've got heaven. God loves me. It is what it is. I love it. No, that, that, that's, that's what makes marriage so beautiful. Think about it. The reason marriage is so powerful is we are saying no to everything else and yes to one person. That's what makes 
That's what makes marriage so profound and beautiful. That's what destroys marriage is when we don't say no to everybody else or we don't say no to a few people. And now all of a sudden that covenant and that commitment is eroded because, well, we're worshiping two things. We're connected to two things or living a double life. And so why is this important? Because when it comes to battling in the spirit, if you are a believer, and what I mean by that is there are clear signs of being a believer, not just, I love God, I'm a Christian. No, you're religious. <laughs> to be a Christian is to admit that you, on your own, are sinful creation. You have blown it. You know that according to the Ten Commandments, you are you're not as good. You've not kept all of them perfectly. Okay. And you go, why is this important? Because in the old Testament, God gave us the 10 commandments, gave Moses the 10 commandments. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not commit adultery. You know, do not steal, do not kill. He gave us these 10 commandments. He didn't give us those because he thought, you know, well, at least if you follow these, you'll be like me. He was trying to show us that outside of God, we have no capacity to be holy. Even a list, I'm not going to kill, I'm not going to steal, is not enough to bring us into holiness compared to God, who is perfect, flawless. And so why does that matter? Well, the Pharisees in the New Testament said, you know, well, we, I've been trying to keep the Ten Commandments. I've been pretty good. You know, I haven't killed. I haven't stealed. And yet then he said, or stole, I should say. And then he says to them, oh, no, no, let's just talk. Let's really talk about it. If you've looked at a woman with lust in your eyes and you've committed adultery, he starts to up the ante. If you have ever coveted, if you ever wanted something, right, then, then you actually have tried to take something from someone. He started to give us these really clear things. Why is he doing that? Honestly, he's trying to get us to stop thinking we can make it work. He's not, he's not trying to shame us. He's not trying to say, you know, look at you. You, you thought you were uh, holy. You thought you were a good Christian. You're blowing it. No, no. What he's trying to do is say, sweetheart, you're hopeless without me. Son, you are hopeless without me. And I love it. I want you to see that without me, life doesn't work. Without me, you will become emotionally, mentally, spiritually bankrupt. You will not make it without me. So I'm going to show you. Here's within your own efforts, you're never going to make it. But guess what? I got a plan. I'll take your place. I'll redeem you of all this sin and all this darkness, all this pain, all this shame. You're going to bring that to me. You're going to literally scoop up all the pain, all the shame, all the blame, all the addiction, all the fear, all the things that we know we have done privately, uh, things that we have done publicly. We're going to bring it to him and we're going to exchange it for who he is. Now, listen, it's not a fair exchange. That's called grace. But we're going to take the shame, or we're going to take our brokenness and we're going to bring it to him. And we're going to see that in the face of Jesus is what we need. We need healing. It's right on his face. We need saving. It's right on his face. We need 
wholeness, it's right there. And we exchange that with him. We literally bring it to him. Some of us, we bring repentance. We're like, you know, it's time for me to ask forgiveness. I've partnered with sin. I've allowed it to hang out in my life. I've partnered with, you know, things that are not, that are hurting me and are anti-God. I really need to humble myself and bring it to him. And he doesn't shame, blame, shut down, yell at us for a while. No, he looks at us with love in his eyes. He goes, thank you. I don't want you to be hurting anymore. I don't want you to try to find fulfillment in things that will only rob from you, hurt from you. I don't want you to go sit in the pig pen and eat when I have this beautiful house and this table that has food that's ready for you. So why is that important? Because we can't war in the spirit unless we know what side we're warring on. And so if you're a believer and you've admitted that you're a sinner, you've admitted that you need a savior, You've brought your sin to him and said, will you please forgive me of my sin? I receive forgiveness. And, and what it is, is not just forgive me, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I want you to forgive me and release me from the punishment of this sin. Release me from the consequences of this in my soul, right? And when we give it to him and then we say, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life, which means I want you to lead my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life, that I don't have to fight and I don't have to plan and I don't have to figure out everything that I can trust, that I'm in a kingdom where the king loves me. I'm in a kingdom where the king is going to take care of me. He's providing good things for me and I can relax in his kingdom because I am now part of his kingdom. I'm part of his community. I'm his daughter. Royal blood flows through my veins. I have authority. Everywhere I go, I'm part of Jesus's kingdom. My last name is Jesus, right? That's who we are. We're, we are part of him now. And so that's what makes it powerful. So why, why are we talking about this? Because once you are part of his kingdom, the enemy cannot, the enemy has no authority over any atmosphere where God reigns and rules. If you invite the Holy Spirit to come live on the inside of you, you give an atmosphere to him, the enemy has no authority. And here's the thing, the Bible even talks about it, that if the enemy tries to stick around after you've taken authority, he knows that you can take authority over him. So he will flee. He will flee like, a, like an alien from a different country. He knows that if he's caught in, in the, the kingdom, he could be taken over. And so if he knows, uh-oh, they know who they are. They know where they belong. They know, they know what kingdom they're a part of. He has absolutely no authority. And that's why I want you to declare this. I've been given an authority from heaven that makes the devil flee. Every room you walk into, the enemy has to go. Every time you call on the name of Jesus, the enemy has to leave. He has to leave and he cannot go inside of you. He can't get inside of you and rule and reign. Now, can we give ourselves over to things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that spiritual? Yes. I think there are strongholds we can have. We can have soul ties, but does that mean that we have demons? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I would genu genuinely say that if you are, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the enemy can't live inside of you too. So what we end up having is alliances with 
old habits of sin. We have a lot, we have habits of sin, we have mindsets of sin. And so the Bible says very clearly that he convicts the sinner of sin, but he convicts the righteous of righteousness. So if we are getting delivered and we're a Christian, right? We believe and we invited the Holy Spirit to come in. It means that I think the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, that is not who you are. That authority needs to go. That bondage needs to go. That soul tie needs to go. And there's no warring other than us wanting to keep, keep it. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to have authority, then everything goes. He has no authority in our lives. The enemy has no authority in our lives if we don't give it to him. So you don't need to be afraid. If you invite the Holy Spirit to come in and you were delivered, and again, remember, the Bible talks about this clearly, that you, when you were saved, you were sozoed. What's sozo mean? Well, it means saved, healed, and delivered. So when we get, when we come to Christ, and if you've never had that experience, I want you to actually look for that experience because it's critical that we are saved. We receive forgiveness for our sins. We, we've been really let off the hook for our punishment, but then we've been healed. Now, again, it doesn't mean we've been healed in the sense that, oh my gosh, I don't have any more pain from that. It never happened again. No, the way that I look at healing is I have been healed, I am healed, and I will be healed. So I now have healing in my life. I now have access to healing. And some of that happens instantaneously, and some of that is a gradual healing, but that is a sign of you being saved. You being healed is a sign of salvation. And then lastly, delivered delivered. So what does that mean? That means that when we come to Christ, he kicks out demons. He kicks out demonic things. He says, you, you can't live and can't have both going on. But even the Bible warns us. He's, I mean, there was a point when Jesus, he cleaned out, there was a, he, he talked about when somebody cleans all the demons out, if you don't know how to keep them out, they'll come back even stronger. This is important. If God has delivered you, if you go back to the thing in which he delivered you, it will be even harder to get free. So if you wonder why it's so hard and before it wasn't, it's probably because you cleaned your house and now the demons, the enemy, now really have authority in that area over your mind, over your heart, and you're giving them that authority. Like, I want you to understand that. The enemy cannot control our thoughts. He cannot control, uh, unless we give him that. And if you are nervous, okay, did, you know, what if he's, what if he's controlling, then you know what? Go after it. Get somebody in your church to pray for you, declare some things. But here's what I do know. The enemy loves attention. He is an attention hog. And so what I have learned very clearly is, I'm going to give the enemy, I'm going to deal with him, but I'm going to deal with him quickly, vigilantly, and I'm going to deal with him violently. <laughs> We're going to deal with him, but then I'm going to get my focus back on the God who saved me, healed me, and delivered me because that's where my attention needs to be. It's where it belongs. And honestly, it's where I know my power lies. And so this is really important. As a Christian, you are anointed to deal with the devil and win every time. It doesn't mean you have to act spiritually creepy. God is not asking you to stir up all kinds of crazy things. Like, you know, if you go, well, I think that there's, you know, demonic things in my city. Well, you know, we're talking about, again, one, the, the first thing we want to make sure is that you are clean. 
You can't help other people get sober if you still have an addiction or you still are vulnerable to that addiction. So I think the first thing is, is focus on you, focus on your mind, focus on your heart, focus on your habits that are, that end up being delivered. If God calls you to go after something, then he will anoint you to do that, but do that with sobriety. So I was going to think about the story. Many years ago, Ben and I moved into this house, not the one we live in now, but before. And um, we knew nothing about this house. We, it was the first home we bought in Reading and we moved in and we have four boys under the age of seven, I think at this point. And all of a sudden, none of us could get a good night's sleep. The boys were waking up crying. They were having nightmares. I was really restless. It just felt there's a lot going on in the atmosphere of our home. And finally, I called my pastor's wife at the time, Benny Johnson, and I called her and I said, Benny, we are not sleeping well. I don't know what is going on, but like, what do you recommend? Should we take our boys? Should we all go get prayer? You know, what do we need to do? And she said, you need to take that land. You need to let the enemy know that that's your land. And she said, go get your oil. And tonight with your family, walk to the four corners of your land, which is a little, a little house. We went to go to the four corners and anoint it and declare, this is our land now. And everything that was here before needs to leave because this is the Lord's house and this is his atmosphere. And what I felt was there was a spirit of anger in the house. There was a a presence of violence. There was a presence of agitation. And so we took the boys and we didn't, we didn't go all crazy with them. And we just were really gentle and simple with them and just said, you know, boys, we're going to take, we're going to take authority over this house. We're going to find the the markers of of our four corners and we're going to pray. And we did, we took him there. We poured oil. Each kid got a chance to pour the oil and we just declared, this is the Lord's. And from that moment on, we slept like babies. We never had night terrors again. There was no restlessness. It was, um, it was supernatural. It was incredible. I mean, if I had known that worked, I probably would have done it <laughs> six months earlier. I mean, it was just profound. And not only that, when people stayed with us, they would say, I don't know what it is, but there's just so much peace in your house. I sleep so deeply. I, I don't sleep like this at home. I sleep so deep in your house. And I'm thinking, yeah, we cleaned house. We took authority. And so there's peace, there's righteousness, there's love, there's joy in this atmosphere because we've taken authority. So again, whatever that looks like, listen, do you need to anoint the four corners of your desk at your office? Do you need to anoint the four corners of the kids drop off? (laughs) Do you need to anoint your car? Do you need to anoint your bed? Do you need to anoint your teenage son's bedroom? Listen, you don't have to make it this huge moment where they know about it. In fact, I, I actually think maybe you leave it alone if it's going to be more distracting, but you go in there and you just take your little oil and you anoint those four corners wherever it is and you just declare this is the Lord's and whatever is not does not belong here needs to go in Jesus' name. We do not partner with this. I will not partner with fear. I will not partner with being overwhelmed. I will not partner with anything that's happening right now. Um, and if you have maybe a boss that's crazy or a leader that's crazy, then you're going to, you know, I, I just declare that anxiety does not get to rule and reign at my desk. I declare that, um, striving and performance does not, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to cultivate that atmosphere. And so whatever has been cultivated in this atmosphere, I just take authority over it. And I just say, Jesus, it's yours. Help me and give me authority over it in Jesus' name. And you just say it, and guess what? You can do it. 
You absolutely can do it. You don't need, you don't need permission. I'll give you permission. Here's your permission. Go do it. The enemy loves chaos, fear-driven prayers. He loves things to be over-spiritualized because he loves for us to waste our time focusing on him. So don't do it. Take authority over the enemy and then declare, God, this is yours. Thank you that we have a future. Thank you that your plans for us are good and not for evil. Thank you that your intentions are good for me at this workplace. Thank you, God, that you're protecting me from this person and this gossip and this slander. Thank you that, that I'm on my way, that, you, that you're fighting battles I don't even know about. And you just begin to declare those things over your life. You see, there's a big difference between, uh, well, in spiritual warfare, between defense mode and discovery mode. What does that mean? If you are always warring, then that means you don't have authority. There's something going on that you have not taken authority. So once you take authority, then when you are faced with a spiritual battle and they are real, I know that. You're not making it up. You're not being dramatic. I get it. But you're going to go into, okay, Holy Spirit, what can we do together to win this war? And so you are not alone fighting your own battle. You have the host of heaven. You have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have a lot of power, all the power behind you. And so you don't need to be afraid. So I want you to keep declaring these things over yourself this, this month. You know, today we really, I really wanted you to see your authority. I wanted you to see God's intention toward you. And I wanted you to really focus on that because as we get into spiritual warfare in the next couple of weeks, I want you to know, okay, God, your intentions towards me are good. Okay, I know I'm fully saved. That means I'm saved, healed, and delivered. Okay, you know, I, I know that I have authority. And, and all of a sudden, we begin to understand, wow, I actually have a ton of authority in this area, and I can begin to fight right. That's what we want to do is fight right. So we're going to get into that. Uh, you know, John 10.10 10 says that God promises to help us to enjoy our life and to give us an abundant life. And we're going to look at how to do that this season. So if you're in a battle, I want to remind you that you were made for war. You were born into war. You were made for war. And if you are a believer, you are on the winning side. Your side is already won. Now you're on a mission to get other people into, your, into the kingdom of God. And so if you are in a battle and somebody in your home or somebody in your life is uh, letting the enemy work you over, then I want to pray protection over you. So Holy Spirit, I pray for protection over all of us, that you would put a hedge of protection mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually over every area of our life. Lord, forgive us for the areas that we have partnered in fear. We've partnered in anxiety. We've partnered in shame. And Lord, we just, wherever you are, whether you're in the car or you're walking or whatever you're doing right now, I want you just to, in your mind's eye, imagine that whatever you need to bring to him, whether it's pain, whether it's shame, whether it's anxiety, whether it's your kid, your marriage, your finances, your health, whatever it is, I want you to bring it to Jesus right now and say, here, this is yours. This is the battle that I'm in right now, but this is, the battle is the Lord's. You said it was yours. So I give you this battle and I'm coming to get what I need from you. So I'm coming to get peace. I'm coming to get clarity. I'm coming to get deliverance. I'm coming to get healing and I'm bringing it to you so that I can get what I need from the safest and most abundant place, which is you, Jesus. 
So I pray for every listener today. I thank you for the power and the authority that you've given each of us as believers. And we just say today, right now, that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Say it out loud. No weapon formed against me will prosper. All right, you guys, that's it for today. I hope that you love the podcast. Hey, my team did something really cool. We put together um, a declaration sheet, a, a few takeaways from this month's podcast, and we would love to get that to you. It's, it's free. It's downloadable. It's just to serve you and make sure you have something to take away. So if you're enjoying this and you, you've missed a few thoughts or you want some of the scriptures and you want some more declarations, well, guess what? We have it for you. There's a link in the show notes. Just click on the show. And in the show notes, you'll see there's a link there. It's a free downloadable, um, uh, I want to say resource so that you can actually get even more out of this podcast in this season. All right, you guys, that's it for now. I love you and I will catch you next time.